0: Hello everyone, my name is Vishva Samani, journalist, sitting in for our usual host Milan, who happens to be my brother. With me is Brahmacharini Sri Priya Chaitanya, a monk and spiritual teacher from the Chinmaya Mission.
1: Welcome to this episode of That Heroic Fish, a podcast where we explore some of the most courageous steps that our guests have taken to get them to where they are today. The heroic fish is a metaphor for the first fish that left the comfort of the ocean for land, not knowing what would come next on its journey of evolution. Today's
0: guest is 27-year-old non-binary artist and performer Shiba Raichandani, who's been on Britain's Got Talent and works in various ways to challenge gender stereotypes in the media, in particular by highlighting the fluidity of gender through music and dance. Shiva, welcome to That Heroic Fish. We're really happy to have you on the podcast uh, and me in particular, mainly because I think you are the first person I've actually ever spoken to who openly identifies as non-binary. And just for the sake of clarity, for those who don't really know, can you explain first of all, what non-binary means?
2: Sure. Um, first of all, thank you so much for having me here. This is an absolute pleasure. Um, and right off the bat, um, being non-binary isn't anything new. Um, gender non-conformity has existed, I mean, for ages, and gender in itself is so complex and no one person's experience of it is identical. Um, but it's understandable that sometimes when someone's gender sort of exists out of societal norms, then sort of the the privileges offered to them are compromised. So a non-binary just, well, again, even using the the label non-binary is, everyone, everyone's experience and definition of it is unique. Um, to me, it simply means that I don't subscribe to the societal binary of male and female. Um, I feel like it's a bit limiting for me, but again, I use the word non-binary because I am in this context, in this circumstance in the UK, and that's the vocabulary that's used. And elsewhere it might not be the same. And so it's very context specific. Um, but for me, yeah, I'm not I'm not very attached to labels, but much as for convenience sake, I guess I use that.
0: Um, Shiva, let's start. Let's let's get on with your with your journey, because there's quite a lot to explore here, even though you're only 27 years old. Um, <laughs> <laughs> life does seem like it's been a bit of a roller coaster for you. You were born to Indian origin parents in Hong Kong. You were raised along with your brother in Indonesia, in Jakarta, by your mother and your grandparents. And when we spoke before this recording, you described it to me as a fairly conservative upbringing. Uh, You were part of a family that that was very devoted to the Guru Sai Baba, who, who you personally met, and you grew up attending Hindu cultural classes associated to it, um, and you embraced your Hindu cultural identity as a child, I believe, but you were also acutely aware of how everything was separated as per traditional gender norms, I guess within a religious context, but also just generally in, in, in society. Were you quite aware as a child? uh, Did you know that you didn't conform to conventional gender norms as a
2: child? I think there wasn't much room to explore gender simply because, again, um, the conditionings that my family was brought up with and sort of the exposure that we had to such discourses was very much limited. And so understandably, so that we use sort of that word conservative because it's just because they didn't have that experience or exposure or um, ability to address um, the complexity of gender um, just outside of what they'd known. Um, And so it was almost as though I had to conform to what was expected um, of the gender roles that were in place. Um, But I knew that I didn't necessarily sort of see myself fit into it. I didn't know what it was. I didn't know how to like verbalize it or how to contextualize it, what words to use to describe my feelings. But I was lucky enough to have the art form of dance as sort of an outlet and sort of like this um, coping mechanism. Um, because I think uh, she's almost like so many children, I guess, um, have toxic gender roles imposed onto their lifestyles right from the offset. I mean, right from the time that they're born with gender reveal parties and stuff. And so, it's just like even like unfair directives like don't sit like a girl be more manly, don't be this don't be that and it's sort of this disdain for femininity whatever that means um, in that context and it's it just reinforces that just the very pro- problematic um, narrative on how there is a certain way to be. Can you
0: remember maybe how you even felt as quite a young child what was going through your mind then in terms of how? society perceived you and how you felt inside um
2: very hazy memories because I feel like a lot of it I've tried to just suppress and not think too much about Um, but um I guess what I would remember most is wanting to do certain things but not be allowed to whether that was say again okay bringing it back to the context of dance right a lot of it is gendered you have male lyrics you have female lyrics you have male choreography female choreography and you're uh, sort of expected to adhere to either or or if you're perceived or raised as a boy you have to only do the boy's choreography and lyrics whereas sometimes I wanted to explore and do the other stuff I wanted to wear like a skirt and dance and all of that was suddenly like questioned um, although my grandma she's because she was a dancer and she really um, instilled the arts in our family so even though there were comments passed like why would someone allow sort of like a young boy to dress up and dance in public like that my family sort of stood by me in that sense, because they knew that dance went beyond appearances and that no one should be policing the creativity of anyone, let alone that of a child. But then still it's that sort of like wanting to do things, but then having to think about the pushback. And so those are the memories that I have, not necessarily with the vocabulary of gender, gender identity and all of that. Shri is there something here
0: about a child's mind sometimes being able to see things free from societal conditionings?
1: Definitely. I think it's so clear that so many of the things that um, Shiva has been mentioning, you know, it's all, it's all learned, all of the kind of labels, the roles, the responsibilities that we see attached to those roles, the kind of expectations, um, it's very much learned. And I think when we're children and before we learn all those things, there is a kind of world of possibilities uh, but because of the context that we all grow up in, which you know, may be different for everyone, um, we learn different things and we we then learn as a consequence to start trying to fit ourselves into those uh, those particular categories, I guess. Um, and and I think it it's when you interact with a child, I think it's something that's very clear to see, you know that, when those labels aren't set, um, there is very much an openness and a curiosity about uh, being able to do different things, um, and I think that's that's very different from you know, and it may be just be a few years later, maybe just sort of even before you turn ten, that these things start getting really sort of uh, cemented in the mind.
2: I like how Shripaji said that it's something that we learn. And it's almost I'm in this phase of constant unlearning of those sort of conditionings that were in place. Shiva, you went to you were forced to become independent quite young in a way,
0: because you went to boarding school in South India when you were 10 years old, and you stayed at that boarding school until you were 16. And and I mean it's just, I guess good to know to remember because we might forget this living in in the UK now that in India, homosexuality was criminalized at this point, um, even Indonesia, it's, I, I think it's still a taboo subject. Um, and, um, and, and this, this is the part of the world that you grew up in. And so you were at school, boarding school in South India. This was also a point, I believe you were introduced to and classical Indian dance. And of course dance had already, it was, and was slowly becoming an important vehicle of expression for you. Can you just tell us a bit about this phase now when you were at boarding school in India?
2: It was, I think my time in India was beautiful, even though it was a bit difficult, um, given that um, I had to be independent, um, I didn't know many people there. And again, culturally, the context was so different um, to Indonesia, but it felt nice to connect with uh, Bharatanatyam, uh, the Indian classical dance form, because that really introduced me to the sort of stories, the Purans in Hinduism, um, and also bring that aspect of storytelling to the forefront. And I think all of us, learn so much from stories. I mean, even this, this entire podcast, is just sharing stories and everything because we resonate, we learn from characters, we learn from their experiences. And that's something that I find really exciting about dance where you get to portray different characters, different stories, and share that with audiences. And in Bharatanatyam, again, you're expected to literally act as the tree and then a woman, an old person, a child, and you're supposed to be like, you know, um, imbibe all of these characters all within five minutes something inanimate to something like just like the range that you are given um, and offered and the space that you have to sort of explore different stories was really comforting because then it's almost well you can say it's sort of like escapism but also exploring different territories and moving out of your own comfort zone and sort of putting yourself in the shoes of different things so that was really nice and I did Bharatanatyam formally, prior to that I only did dance informally and just like casually for fun and it was very much Bollywood mainstream Hindi cinema dancing but this really brought in that discipline, which was really lacking. And that was great because that sort of gave me the foundation um, for my dancing career.
0: And, and just can you paint more of a broader picture as well, a da- dance aside, what was school like you? I mean, you were basically out on your own, quite a young child, aware of the fact that you didn't feel necessarily exclusively like a boy and, and, and probably aware that other people recognized that about you as well, even though it necessarily wasn't spoken about.
2: Sure. I think one thing that worried me a lot was the fact that there was just no privacy there because you're like in a boarding school right so you're like 40 people in one room literally 40 like children in one big hall living in bunk beds and so you're constantly around people and you have to be again it's just that aspect of being aware and vigilant of yourself and how you're perceived and what sort of cues you're giving out to people and how they might take that not just children but teachers as well because I know of people who were explicitly openly gay and queer who were expelled. And so that was very frightening to me. I was like, okay, so I need to ensure that I'm masking myself in a way that doesn't get me into trouble. So that was always there in my mind. But then I did delve deep into sort of academics and core curricular activities and try and not distract myself, but think of how I can sort of um, build my own self and develop and learn new things, new skills so that I was well-equipped when I moved out of the school. And I think when we spoke previously, you you sort of mentioned your own
0: hyper-awareness of of maybe feeling different to others meant that you felt like, In order that other people don't call me out on this, I need to be brilliant at my studies. I need to be kind of like, I need to ace everything. So that's the thing that I'm known for.
2: Yes, it was that protective shield, I guess, because if I'd excelled at everything, then the chances of people um, questioning me or bullying me would be less, because then I'd be in a position where they would have to look up to me and be sort of like um, mindful of not treating me poorly it was difficult the first few months in fact the first year i guess um you have slurs directed at you you have physical abuse directed at you and that sort of stuff so you're automatically trying to build this defense mechanism and for me the easiest way was okay let's excel at everything else so that um that protects me in a way from everyone and I'm respected in that sense but again it's it's sort of an unfair demand to ask everyone like every child you need to be a certain way you need to excel in every single thing so that you don't face the brunt of bullying and stuff Um, and again not everyone is equipped um, or in a safe space to do that and so sort of being being mindful of that is completely subjective the experience and how you tackle these are again down to you and the how you're equipped with your surroundings and what tools you have. Uh, for me, that was my way of dealing with it. I mean, even
0: teachers were sometimes unkind to you.
2: Yeah, it's yeah, it's scary when it's, you look up to someone uh, like a teacher and you revere them, respect them, and then suddenly they come back to you and they're like, maybe you should not pursue dancing. Maybe you should not do your extended essay for IB on dance because A, no one's done it and B, that's something that girls do. So you're constantly, then you're like, whoa, why am I being told this? Um, Because clearly I know I'm good at it, but why are you not allowing me to do it? So that's, there was a lot of me pushing back and fighting back and be like, okay, give me your reasoning. Why do you think I shouldn't be doing this? And then let's meet halfway. Um, Eventually I did have my way i did the essay i did pursue dance and everything aced it but in the moment it was very distressing because i remember there was this national dance competition that was happening in india and i was one of the front runners to represent the school um to do the better Than dance but they had there, there was this other girl as well in my course who wanted to do it and her, her like, entire family came down to the school to fight for it. She's like, she's a girl, she's trained in birth at him all the years, and how can you give it to a boy? And I was like, whoa, um, the, because the extent to which people will go to sort of, again, fixate on those norms and roles and i'm just like i just want to dance i don't really care about like all of this logistics of gender roles and stuff for me it's just being on that stage being in that moment being liberated in what i do uh fortunately it was down to again skills so thankfully i got in (laughs) represented the school but again it's just being able to stand up for yourself I guess and not many people are privileged enough to do that which is what worries me because I may be a certain way and where I'm like I'm so frustrated and I just want to stand up for myself and be like no this is wrong let's address it let's speak about this and see how we can move forward um in a proper wholesome way.
0: Of course Shiva was able you you described that you were able to to stick up for yourself in this situation in these these various such situations that you faced but bullying it happens, it happens to many people. Sri it would be really interesting to know what, what is the effect from a Vedantic perspective on a developing child, a teenager's mind when they have to go through things like what Shiva has been through?
1: Mm. When we go through not only bullying, but any experience, we are uh, reacting to that experience with our, I guess what you could call our conscious mind. But at the same time, there are impressions formed, which then uh, start sort of forming or becoming part of, I guess, what you would call our unconscious mind, right? So in Vedanta, what we would call vasanas, these kind of deep-rooted impressions. And the effect of those impressions is they then start to, they start to dictate our future thought patterns. So... Vasanas are something that you know when you put us in a particular situation and we sort of uh helplessly or without thinking too much about it, reactively or instinctively, we respond to that situation in a particular way. The reason that we do so is vasanas. Um and so when I think when a child or uh you know a teenager even goes through something like this, um, it's definitely having an impact on those or or creating vasanas for those kinds of situations um and not only in terms of how to respond to situations but i think it also has an impact on how we think of ourselves and uh you know those kind of vasanas as shiva mentioned earlier that You know, we learn all these things in our childhood and then we have to go through a conscious process of unlearning. And actually that's what takes a lot of effort. Those impressions are formed relatively easily, but to unlearn and to try and change that thought pattern in order that the impressions also are changed really takes a lot of effort and and hard work.
2: Just to echo that, back then I knew that I dealt with a lot of that from a place of frustration and grief, I think, because that really affected my sense of self. But in retrospect, obviously now with with time having passed and having learned a lot more and unlearned a lot more, it's sort of understanding that perhaps those bullies and those people who were unkind were facing things on their own. And it was something about them that they felt they were like projecting onto me. And it's sort of like finding that sort of that line and drawing that line and knowing that other people's perceptions of me aren't my responsibility and shouldn't affect me as much as they should but again that is a continual process continuous process because sometimes you still do get affected sometimes even online when uh, you get all this hatred and trolling even like after Britain's Got Talent I had like various death threats come my way and everything that we had to sort of just be mindful of how We are interacting with one another and how toxic that can be and how then I need to respond to that, whether I choose to or not. Sometimes I don't, but sometimes I actively do, because I think it sets an example of how others can then um, tackle bullying. Whether online or offline, in those contexts, because obviously it still exists and it's still very widespread and everything, and so it's almost seeing things with more empathy and kindness rather than um, pushback or clapback or cancel culture sort of things. But it's just continuous learning process. Even sometimes I have to remind myself to be calm and not react, but reflect a bit more before responding.
1: What you mentioned, Shiva, is something that I mean, definitely when you're more in the spotlight and you know you're. Um, sort of exposed to more people it's something that you really think about but for all of us generally we spend quite a lot of time thinking about what others think of us Mm -hmm. and um, it's it's so important to to remember that you know it's not our responsibility what others think of us and their opinions and um, the best that we can do is kind of as you say you know respond with empathy and kindness but I think it's something that if we allow it to, can really take over um, the way that we think and the way that we behave, and then that self-expression kind of gets lost. So it's uh, just for all of us, I think, to be able to have that ability to say, "I, you know, I, I, I am who I am," and whoever kind of. Responds in a negative way is obviously it's it's being shaped by their by their ideas by their vasanas. Um and it it's something that uh, I think is helpful for for all of us to think of.
2: I think just even on that on the whole idea of I am who I am and stuff. I think there needs to be a lot more nuance and room for that exploration in the sense that yeah obviously we know who, what our actual true self is but then in this material world and in this day-to-day life that we're navigating I feel like we need more room in the sense of that we don't need to be the exact same person that we are and there needs to be room for growth and I'm not the same person I was yesterday nor will I be this be the same person tomorrow that I am today and that sort of ability to grow not be the same person is also something that we need to appreciate because I think people. People like a lot of people come and tell me, "Oh, you're you're finally living the life that you want," and I'm like, I do not know what that means because like I'm still like discovering like my own space and where I fit in and how I want to like uh, be and everything. So I really don't understand that whole aspect of being as a destination I'm like this is like I'm just on a journey I don't know what I'm doing sometimes I'm just figuring things out I'm not the same person I am that, that I was on Britain's Got Talent a, not the same person be not the same dancer like so it's it's just that evol- constant evolving and because people tend to latch on to a specific point in your life and be like that's who you are and I'm like maybe not
1: <laughs> yeah and I think that's the thing with this whole question of identity is that really speaking it's it's known to us and so little of who we are can be really understood by others because it's really just the external expression um and and it's uh i think it's definitely uh it's it's important to be able to have that room to you know to allow ourselves to to grow and to learn um, because otherwise we'd just be we'd just be stuck at, yeah. uh, at, the, at that certain point where people decide that they've understood who we are.
2: Yeah. Um, and like even like in terms of identities, we're constantly shedding them, we're constantly gaining new ones, it's, con- it's constantly trans, like it's, it's just constantly, yeah, changing. So it's ha- making peace with that as well and not latching on to anyone or feeling too attached to anyone that nothing else matters.
0: Shiva, you you kind of glossed over quite a quite a big point, I guess, certainly <laughs> in literature of oh, you know, we all know our kind of true self, but yeah. and then you went to talk about all the various identities that you may have assumed and adopted. I mean, uh, maybe this is a good opportunity to to explore that with truth. Sure. Uh, uh, I mean, so so what what you are also on a spiritual path? Yes. Ha- tell us about that. Then, how do you reconcile this? Your, your various relative identities, let's call them, and how important they are to you with an ultimate identity or is this very much a path you're exploring and maybe Shri Pridhi can, can add a bit more on that.
2: I think sometimes we get so distracted by holding on to like a specific identity that we forget how complex and expansive and nuanced we are as individuals and just how hard it is to reduce ourselves to one specific label. Because right from the moment we're born, we, we start constructing. These identities in ways in ways that help others understand us or make sense of us, but rarely do we then deconstruct those identifiers to really understand what makes sense to us. Because it's because we have so many labels attached to us, and we're constantly they're constantly changing. Whether we're a child, we're a grandchild, we're a dancer, we're a non-dancer, we're like a spiritual person. This is the one with the long hair, the one who wears a dress, the one who wears makeup, and all of that sort of so many things. But at any given point in time we're not just one of these things. And similarly, not all of these sort of identifiers hold permanence, we grow out of them like like I mean they change we, we adopt new roles and um, labels depending on where we are what context we are how we see ourselves and understand ourselves so for me at least I'm like okay it's to understand that while these labels are necessary to navigate society because in terms of like fighting for your rights and finding community finding friends and understanding yourself but it's so much more than those labels that we ourselves are beyond them and that we will still exist even after those labels so it's sort of like understanding what our potential is beyond that and I think knowing that there is something beyond that is very comforting to me I guess in some way it's like it's calming it's like I know that there's more to this than that than we sort of prescribe to and so I think being on a spiritual path has given, has cemented that, that, that sort of um, idea. And I've been able to make more peace with it, if that makes sense.
0: And I guess True Pridji is in the business of guiding people along the spiritual path. So maybe, I mean, G, yes. <laughs> you can talk a bit more on, on, on this.
1: Yeah, this idea of identity, I mean, you could argue is really kind of essentially what Vedanta is all about. It's really just about figuring out who we are. And at the same time, as we have this transactional identity or identities, there is also this absolute identity that ultimately is what we're all trying to discover and understand and really uh, abide in. And I think at the same time as that ultimately is our goal and it's what we're pursuing, and it's where we want to be, in order to understand that, and in order to get to a place where we can really live in that identity, we have to first be able to understand and accept whatever transactional identity we have. Because if there is a resistance there, or if there is discomfort or a lack of understanding, it's difficult to go past it it's, it's, it's much easier um, for us to transcend whatever transactional identity is there when we have fully uh, not only accepted, but really, we have um, understood uh, that identity in its kind of totality as much as we can. Um, And so I think that for any seeker, any spiritual seeker within this you know, field, we, yes, we are working towards understanding this absolute identity, but at the same time, we should know and we should have the correct perspective on whatever transactional identity we are uh, inhabiting.
0: I'm gonna rewind now and go back to Shiva, age 16. Um, so Shiva's left school now, boarding school. We talked a bit about those experiences. Shiva, you went to university in Hong Kong. You studied psychology and counselling, and and you describe yourself as having become quite passionate about mental health. But you also loved dance and theatre. Yet you had all the kind of classic traditional Asian pressures of pursuing something like medicine or dentistry. Um, I don't think you did, you acted much on those, but, and you ended up returning home to be with your, with your mother after graduating. Um, and, and I imagine this was a bit of a crossroads for you because you were sort of deciding, you know, I think you must've been about 20 then. Um, wh- where am I gonna go with my life? And this was a bit of a period of being in limbo for you, but also a lot happened for you during this period. Can you just talk us through this?
2: Sure. <laughs> oh, well, that was, yeah. That was an interesting phase because um, you obviously have society telling you to pursue one thing but then you don't really necessarily find yourself interested in that. I think like we all knew I'm not I'm not cut out to be some form of like a doctor <laughs> or like businessman or anything and we kind of made peace with the fact that my place was in the arts but how we would do that and how I would pursue it we, none of us knew. Um, I think... Oh, I don't know. I knew I always wanted to dance, but never saw it as sort of a prime career potential or something that I could actually take on full time. Um, And it was only when I left everything, went home and decided to just take some time out to figure things out. Again, not everyone is privileged to do that. So I'm again, very mindful of that, that was able to do that um, and have the backing arm and support from family but they were very open to me doing things trying things and I did try out teaching dance for a bit loved it and what really really excited me about dance during that time so I was actually this is very like random but I was teaching wedding choreography for Asian weddings and as most Asian people know like their weddings are way too extravagant and way too overboard you have like 200 people dancing um, in one occasion. And so you're teaching 200 people for one wedding and then you're teaching five weddings in a month. So you can imagine the number of people you're in contact with at one given point of time. People from different backgrounds, different age groups, different dance abilities, all coming together, leaving their lives behind to just be in the moment and dance. And that was like mind blowing to me. I was like, how have all of these people with different values, different beliefs, different sort of like understandings of life, just be here in this one room and find joy in this communal practice of dance. And that was really powerful to me where you're able to transcend beyond beyond language, beyond all of those sort of inhibitions that one usually has, because they're, oh, I don't wanna dance. Oh, I don't wanna look this way. I don't wanna look that way. They're all just there to have fun. In in that that joy and that love for the people that they're performing for, and that really like was, wow, like just like it just opened my mind to a whole other level. I was like, if dance can really bring people together in this way and find common ground, how do I how do I sort of like build upon this? And that's when our that my passion was like really really cemented. I was like, okay, this is something I definitely want to pursue because. If you are able to sort of like combine all of these aspects of life and bring channel that through dance and maybe hopefully bring about a change in society where you're able to then insert societal discourses into dance, into your practice and highlight issues in the medium of performing arts, it would really have a solid impact on society as a whole. Uh, which is what is reflected then I guess in a lot of my dance work even on Britain's Got Talent or India's Got Talent and all the other platforms that I've been uh, lucky to be a part of is where we're sort of bringing this aspect of awareness of gender fluidity of just, just understanding how we live in a very heteronormative society and how we're so bound by those norms, how can we sort of break that down so that anyone can explore themselves, however they identify straight not straight whatever however it is it's sort of to have that dialogue to introspect of what their own relationship with gender is and how they might them themselves perpetuate certain stereotypes or hold themselves back in their own bubbles so it's like more of like let's come together explore this together through movement because that can be very cathartic as well it highlights i
0: think there were two things that seem to have been going on at this point yeah you're making headway and and taking big steps both in exploring your journey as an artist, as a performer, but also your sexuality, gender expression, because you hadn't just, you know, whilst you've been on a a real, really quite a journey since then, at this point, you hadn't actually expressed yourself, come out as gay. You hadn't really spoken very openly about how you identified. And I think when we spoke previously, you described this as quite an uneasy period for you. There was a lot bubbling under the surface Mm -hmm. in terms of your relationship with your mother, it was quite an uneasy time as well, wasn't it? I know I know you, a lot has come out of it since, but just bringing yourself back to how you felt then. Um,
2: so yes, I think that again, brings it back to the fact that why I was so um, enamored by dance was that it sort of gave me this outlet to express myself in ways that I didn't know possible or um, something that felt comfortable. And I think the frustration came from the fact that I was in an environment that didn't fully allow for such an exploration. And um, it was various things, right? Because you're in it again, in your you yourself on an individual level, have all of these things um that you're conditioned with. And so you're yourself, you're policing yourself in the ways that you practice an art form. And then you move out a bit, you have the family that has their own set of beliefs and values. And not just on themselves, because then they're also worried about how society will think of them by my practice and then that whole ripple effect of then, all right, then what does the entire society think, what does the country think in their own legislative, not just legislation wise, but society wise, what their views are on gender nonconformity and uh, using the arts to tackle whatever is considered taboo. And so this this massive ripple effect. And then suddenly it felt like this massive burden on the individual where I'm like, wow, this is a lot to be mindful of, to be thinking of when I just want to focus on my own practice. But then I can't do that because I have to account for all of these various external factors before I can fully um, uh, pra- fully break down my own practice. So I had to sort of cross that barrier. And the only way to do that for me was to really be vulnerable to my family and sort of express how I felt so that we could all be on a journey to, of healing, so that we can all, not just myself, but them too. Because um, again, yeah, it, it's a journey for all of us involved because they've grown up with a set of ideals that, okay, Shiva is gonna grow up, is is a boy, is gonna get like married to a girl, is gonna find the right job, is gonna settle down. and So they've already planned out this whole trajectory in their minds and then to tell them otherwise, it's a journey for them again to sort of uh, make peace with that and relearn things um, from my perspective. And so it was journey for all of us. Um, wasn't very easy initially to start with. Again, I, I did anticipate it wouldn't be easy, but then with time, it, it's, it's become a lot better and I'm very lucky to have my parents as like sort of champions of me and ensuring that I'm able to pursue whatever feels right to me but obviously in that point it can be very very daunting to even just say those few words that mom I feel differently or I identify differently I don't feel a certain way and it's sort of like what you're not sure of what the reaction will be. And that can be very, very daunting. And everyone's experience of that, that, that moment is different. And yeah, I think you can't really yeah, compare the struggle, but the struggle is there in whatever capacity because um, you never know what's gonna happen and whether you'll be in a safe space after that or not because um, you've, you've put everything, almost everything at risk at some, like, it, it can feel that way. But
0: you knew you had to tell your parents at that point.
2: I think, it. yeah, we, we had almost reached this sort of, like, tipping point where we had to move past um, our differences and break them down and have a dialogue, an honest dialogue of, um, yeah, just just everything that was in yeah, why, why we felt differently, I guess, and why we had that disconnect to then fully allow myself to then pursue a career in something that I was interested in.
0: And Shrupaji, I think this is something in, in some ways, on, 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 in a different way, many people can relate to this kind of sense of unease of when you're not ha- quite happy with the way things are, but you might not necessarily know exactly why. So I guess in such situations, how does a person go about finding out what the source of that unease is? Shiva was able to identify to a certain extent where, what, what those things were that needed to be overcome. But yeah, how does a person go, go about finding out what the source of those agitations are?
1: One thing that I think uh, doesn't help is that generally when we we know something is wrong, but we're not sure what it is, is that generally, the way that we live is that we don't really have time to even sit and think and try and identify what is wrong for a lot of people. For some people, it's it's clear, right, that this is the area in which you know, there is sort of agitation or unease. Um, But I think for a lot of people, it's, uh, it's difficult to even identify what, what's wrong in the first place. Um, And I think, just making time to do that is so important. Um, the way that we live now, although, you know, in the last year our, our lives have changed dramatically and and the way we spend time has perhaps also changed. But I think in the first place, just making time to think um, and and examine and and look at our lives and, and try and figure out where this unease is coming from. Um, and it's not always obvious. It does require a lot of thought, and it does require uh, a lot of introspection. That process of really examining our behaviors and our speech, and diving deeper into the thought patterns, um, in order to identify, you know, what's wrong. And it may take time as well for some people. It it just requires you know, a, a few days maybe, but for some people it may require a couple of months. Um, but I think that that making that time to really introspect and to be honest with oneself as well, which is also not always easy for us, um, but finding finding a way to do that can definitely help in, uh, in, in figuring this kind of thing out.
0: And Sri I mean, bringing this back to you again, would you say in some ways you went through something similar when you were, you were pursuing a masters before you chose to pursue the path of of monkhood of doing the vedanta course and then committing a life to to being a monk um can in, in i know it's a completely different journey life journey but in some ways can you can you can you relate to this
1: yeah definitely i think it um it it's definitely different and you know i'm it, it it's different in that there was perhaps um, less at stake in the sense that I wasn't at risk by you know exposing myself in in this way and and expressing that I wanted to do something different but I think it definitely kind of uh, it wasn't easy but in the same way that I think you know a lot of people who and we all go through moments like this but it it feels as though there's no choice And I think that's what really pushes you is you feel this isn't a choice that I'm making. It's just something that I have to follow through on because if I stay where I am and if I let things continue, then I'm not going to be happy. And I know that I'm not going to be able to to really kind of continue in this way.
2: I love how you said that because that's exactly how I think I felt in the sense that if if I continue to be in this situation in this position, It would sort of be a disservice to me because like I'm not going to be happy almost and even though I may not know what I want to pursue and what I'm looking for and where I'll end up down the lane but at this point this is not this is not this is not right and that's exactly how I think I felt back then where I had to address that in the moment and then see where that takes me because I think part of the fear from family or whoever else I think is the fact that maybe there is no template of what that pursuit of that happiness looks like because they've they just don't know what that might be and so that sort of sense of fear of security of where you might end up and all that but sort of reassuring that if you yeah if you if you're very sure of the fact that it aligns with your beliefs and values and that's where you think you need to be headed then you'll end up fine no matter what that is that you'll you'll find your footing even though there is no sort of like um model or template or sort of representation of it at this point it doesn't matter because like you could be creating that representation yourself for others to then follow suit so it really depends on taking that, that again that leap of faith and just ensuring that you're able to step
1: and i think that that just what what you've said shiva is really you know something that's so broad and so applicable to maybe all of us but generally what we don't know and we don't understand we we fear right and that i think is something that really plays especially on you know parents minds and that it it does filter down to children you know unconsciously or, or consciously um, and it 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 finds its way into our thinking and i think a really important thing for us to do or you know for parents to do is to is to find a way that uh, to make sure that it doesn't happen with the next generation that what we don't know we find a way to make sure that the next generation doesn't grow up fearing it but being curious about it and and wanting to learn and being open to it
2: I love that because, I mean, it's sort of almost saying, and I know I myself am constantly fearing the unknown, but at the same time on the flip side, I am very happy with the unknown because that means opportunity to me, if that makes sense. Because not sometimes not knowing means that you're able to create something and that's even more beautiful. So it's sort of making peace with that as well. So it's, it's uh, yeah, I get that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And uh, as a parent, I will also take on some element of that responsibility. <laughs> Shiva, let's. Um, I guess one of those courageous steps into the unknown that came next after um, speaking very openly to your to your parents and grandparents about this was uh, was deciding to move to London. And I think you found the excuse of a master's degree to move to London. Just talk us through why why you wanted to do that. Why actually shifting geographically to another part of the world was so important to you.
2: I think because. Prior to that, a lot of my experiences were in the context of Asia, and even when I wanted to do my bachelor's degree outside of Asia, my family was a bit apprehensive because they were like, you're too young, you need to be a bit close to home and things so that we can reach you, which was fine to me, but then at that point, after having come out and doing all of those things and having experienced life till that ex- till that point, I knew that there was nothing more I could do within that setting and I needed a whole completely different worldview I needed different experiences I needed um yeah just exposure to a different kind of lifestyle to inform and learn from um which is why then I was like okay let's look on the other side of the world and because I had a British passport that made it easier so I was like let's use make use of this passport that I have um it was it was I didn't I didn't anticipate that I'd Uh, Be in the UK for longer than a year. It was just supposed to be the master's degree, but then halfway through the master's degree I got scouted for um, Britain's Got Talent. So that completely changed everything and I saw potential in moving to London and finding sort of a space in the dance scene here and Yes, again, I've been very fortunate because that led to different things, led to me being um, an instructor at one of the finest dance studios in London, having a dance team, doing loads of cool stuff in the space of dance, but also having room to um, really explore my own, where I fit in into all of that or not fit in into all of that and see how I can sort of add value um, in those spaces that I am. Um, Because I think just, just, dance in itself as i said it has so much power just going beyond sort of like political cultural and ethnic barriers and it's it's given me a lot of hope and strength especially in times of despair because that's that's again has been my outlet and so being able to do or have a career in dance no matter how volatile it is for performing artists and freelancers especially in this time um it's, it's been very, very gratifying, very satisfying. Yeah.
0: And did you set out with a vision to challenge gender stereotypes in mainstream media or is this just something that has developed organically? Ooh.
2: No, I didn't set out to do it like off the, I, I felt like I was already doing that inherently anyway on a day to day. And so it, it, I didn't need to sort of brand it as such where here I am championing, you know, like all of this. But it sort of came organically when I was immersed in the practice and everything. It it almost felt like a responsibility to make something out of it and ensure that I was, um, I understood the potential in having those sort of discourses and sort of uh, conversations in an art form, because I think art really pushes the envelope and can really bring about change globally. And it is artists who are challenging the status quo, who are stepping up um, against uh, who are who are, who have that dissent against sort of like all of the injustices that we have and it's such a beautiful way to connect with people across different groups and so it's almost yeah I, I just felt like and because again my main practice is Indian dance is Bollywood dance and everything and those scenes themselves are very toxic and so you can't be a part of those um sort of situations and not address their shortcomings Um, how Bollywood is very toxic misogynist and just very all of those poor things that they sort of perpetuate if you are going to practice an art form within those spaces you should be able to critique it as well so I think it—it—it it, it just almost felt like a responsibility that I'm in this space, I have to have, I have to make my voice heard and help others, amplify others, see who is disenfranchised, bring them in on the conversation and amplify their voices through dance. And yeah, it's been, it's been beautiful.
0: I mean, it, it really is wonderful to see and hear. And, and I really want to ask Shupriji here that, is there something here about when you have kept something inside for, for so long, but then you feel confident to live it? can it lead to a surge in energy, creativity, a- and clarity of purpose?
1: Definitely. An example that comes to mind, um, not necessarily of someone who uh, kept everything inside, but who became confused. Uh, an example from our scriptures is the very well-known figure of Arjuna um, in the Bhagavad Gita, and you know, in, in the course of his dialogue with with Sri Krishna, he is very much uh, confused at the beginning. He has so much potential. He has essentially been training his whole life to face the situation that he's in. And yet the moment that that doubt comes into his mind and the question comes in the, um, really the, the preference to not face the situation that he's in, it takes root in his mind and he thinks, I just don't want to do this it essentially just kind of blocks all that potential and we see you know throughout the course of this whole conversation that he really is able to kind of work out all those knots through the beautiful guidance that he's given and by the end he's he's ready and he says you know i'll 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 do whatever you say my delusion has been destroyed Um, and then of course the story continues in the Mahabharata and he, he fights this war and, and they, um, and they win. Um, so I think that as a sort of scriptural example definitely shows us that this is true. Uh, but I think it's something that we also see in our own lives, that to the extent that we have, uh, any sort of doubt or we are unclear about our own potential, it's difficult for that to come into expression. But I think the moment that we gain clarity and conviction, there's um there's an incredible amount that, that can be achieved. Um an incredible amount of good that can also be done.
0: And and presumably you feel that Shiva in your own experience.
2: I think so, yes, to a certain extent, because it's I'm um, well why well, I don't obviously feel like I know completely I, what I'm doing, and like I, I don't. I feel like there's still so much potential. There's still so much to do. There's still a lot more to discover, a lot more to grow. But I think I'm fortunately in a space where I'm a lot more comfortable and happy. And I think that's all that matters for now. Um, and it's just taking it forward. How do we build upon that? How do we do more good? How do we add more value? How do we bring more people on this journey? How do we ensure that it, all the sort of like negatives that I experience doesn't happen to others um, who are younger and that's something that I again as an educator in dance try and ensure hopefully things are changing for the better they are they are but um, we need more conversation around these things at least in our our sort of cultural context, the South Asian context, where a lot of this is still very much taboo. And understandably, because again, not many people are conversing about it so openly and sort of highlighting these facts that it's okay to allow room for the future generations to find their footing on their own and explore what makes sense to them. And just taking this back to, to you on your path, we've talked about Shiva
0: as a non-bi- as non-binary as and Shiva as an artist, um, would you, do you feel that the same source of courage has been required to pursue both paths? Almost, if you develop courage in one area, you find it in other areas of your life too. I think it,
2: while it's all one and the same, it also complements because my dancing led me to understanding the non-binary experience. Yet and understanding the non-binary experience, it expanded my view of my dance practice and my dance practice has changed ever since. So it sort of complements each other in that way.
0: Shri Pridhi, can you add anything here on on this? Is is it true that if you develop uh, strength in one area, it can pervade other areas of your life?
1: I think so. I think it's something that we kind of, it's, um it's interesting because although we like to compartmentalize as Shiva mentioned it's also uh true that every um aspect of our lives is very much linked in this fact that it's one person who is living all those different areas right so I think it 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 definitely helps to have clarity in all of the areas but I think that when that uh, understanding is there or that confidence in there is there just with regards to um my understanding of myself and perhaps there's a, a role that I see as more central um than you know some of the other roles that that I have I think it definitely can have a knock-on effect that when we are we have that clarity and conviction and confidence in one it definitely can help in all of the other areas um in our life
2: 100 i think it's all very complementary as well because again it's, it's it's interesting to see how other people then address it because in some settings people will be like oh you're the non-binary person and other settings oh you're the non-binary dancer and then some person oh you're the artist and i'm like I mean yeah I'm all of those things but yeah sure I guess whatever suits you in that context uh, whatever is applicable there but I am all of those things <laughs>
1: the expression of someone who uses the or, or follows the philosophy of Advaita Vedanta the expression in transactional life of that person and that person's relationships with others around them is acceptance and compassion and love and I think if there is any kind of judgment and there is discrimination and there is non-acceptance and that is done with reference to scriptures then we are doing a disservice to those scriptures because really what we see is that the scriptures teach us to see ourselves in all beings not just in human beings, but in all creatures and in the entire creation. And to see that creation in ourselves and the same way that we love ourselves unconditionally, we are also called to love and accept all of us. And I think this is really kind of the most important thing for all of us is to to really remember that and to, to make an effort to to live up to that because that's what our rishis and our teachers and our scriptures are telling us
0: well i think that's a really really beautiful way to to bring our conversation to an end but before we before we do end it um we have some heroic fish ender questions shiva that we ask everybody in this podcast the first one is if there were a few words that you could tell your 18 year old self I think because you are 27 we can maybe make
2: it your 16 year old self what what would they be um there's beauty in the unknown I think if I knew that and didn't worry so much about trying to fit in, or finding my place within whatever was prescribed, I think it would have been a lot more freeing. I would have, yeah, that, that, just, just knowing that there's so much more, there's this expanse, this uncharted territory that is waiting out there, was, would have been nice to know. And not be very lonely, I guess, to be like, cooped up in that bubble, in that box.
0: And then what is your biggest heroic fish moment? And and I guess we can define this as a moment where you took one giant leap into the unknown that has led to beyond the known.
2: Oh, wow. (laughs) I feel like it's hard to like pinpoint one singular heroic fish moment because I think we all are doing our best and taking those steps and heroic moments on a day to day even in the simplest of ways, even like just getting up in these difficult times in the morning is already such a big feat sometimes. Um, But I think it would have been, based just based on our conversation, I guess, it would have been Britain's Got Talent because that was terrifying to just get on a public platform, a national stage, have that sort of spotlight put into you. That was the first time I ever actually explored uh, my gender fluidity so openly. It was daunting because we just didn't know how it would be perceived, what would happen, whether that would be the end of my career or what. I mean, it was just very, very terrifying, but it felt like the right thing to do at that point in time, because I felt like that was an opportunity not to be missed. And I've learned so much from it since, and it's definitely informed a lot of my practice right now. But I think in that moment, just getting on that stage, was, was, it was something, yeah something beautiful to get over.
0: Well, I think uh, I think Shri Pridhi and I would both agree that you have had many heroic fish moments on your journey 27 years so far and I'm sure there'll be many more to come. Thank you both for being part of this episode of That Heroic Fish.
2: That Heroic Fish is
0: brought to you by Chinmaya Mission UK, an organisation that is committed to spreading maximum happiness to the maximum amount of people for the maximum amount of time through the
1: sharing of Advaita Vedanta. To find out more, visit ChinmayaUK.org.